Now, typically you see my face and you're like, ah, shit. And you'll see Dan Nathan. But today, no, no, no. You see the beautiful Danny Moses back from vacation. He actually surprised his son at university this weekend for his 21st birthdays. Danny's son, not Danny. I won't tell you the state because, you know, a lot of people stalk out there. So I will refrain. But this is a market call. It's Monday. I think what what is today? I want to say it's the 10th of April. It's going by like this. This market call uh, brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. They're also our data provider. Danny, I have missed you, uh, but it was well-deserved time off. How are you? I'm good. It doesn't feel like much has changed in the last week, does it? It's like a washing machine. Well, it, it is like a washing machine. In terms of the S&P, you know, it's still 4,100. I think the last time we were together, the S&P was 4,100. It seems like it's been there for quite some time, which is still significantly above the 200-day moving average. So I would submit it's traded well. But you know what? A lot has changed over the last week, I would submit. Obviously, crude oil is higher. Let's just touch on that for a second, because I was just looking through the largest M&A deals of all time. Um, this, this, this talked about ExxonMobil for Pioneer would, I would imagine, be a $70 billion deal. And I'm looking through the list. This would make it a significant one. But I forgot, AOL Time Warner in 2000 was a $182 billion deal. Um, I'm looking what at some others, Verizon, Vodafone, 100. So this would be large but it wouldn't be as large as some of the biggest of all time. With that said, question is, can it happen given the government, given what's going on in energy? And does it make sense? But I will tell you, Danny Moses, you have actually talked about M&A in the energy space for quite some time. So please opine. Yeah, if you were an investment banker looking to generate revenue, what sector could you really go to that has very good current fundamentals right now, right? And is ripe uh, for M&A since you're not drilling you know, how are you going to make money? And one of those could be to buy other companies. But like you said, I can't imagine that the government, uh, given their view of energy companies at this point, would love this so much. But then again, I think you have bankers coming up with very creative ways uh, to mm -hmm. generate revenue. So but listen, I think it speaks to, and by the way, uh, for those playing our home game, it is Monday. The great Carter Braxton Worth is in the wings. He will be joining us in a few minutes. So buckle up your chin straps for that, folks. But, you know, I would submit, Again, just my opinion, it speaks to how well capitalized and how um, incredibly run and how they've gotten their acts together. They being these energy companies 10 years ago, uh, I'm hard pressed to believe that deals of this magnitude would come to fruition, uh, regardless of what you think. These companies were not nearly as well organized, well run. Balance sheets were not as pristine and, as today. So whether or not it happens or not, I think it speaks to the underlying strength of that sector, Danny. Yeah, same here. I think there's a lot of weight, literally and figuratively, that's been put on energy as we enter Q1 earnings and so forth. And people came into the year, I think, overweight the sector. So people are going to want to see that to fulfill, I think, what they think will be the performance for 2023. So certainly, probably one of the most important sectors to watch, for sure, from an earnings I agree. And, you know, listen, I, I, OPEC are not our friends. Uh, you know, the timing of that announcement, that surprise, quote unquote, uh, uh, just, um cut in production did not surprise me. I mean, I was just, I was surprised by how long it took them to say it, by the way, but you see how hair trigger, not only the underlying commodity is, but some of the underlying stocks. With that said, let's go to our first slide because Amanda worked hard on this, as did Stephen Rafis and Jacob. Stock pickers failed to take part in the first quarter rally. And what's interesting about that is 
the first quarter rally, if you think about it, I mean, there were some individual names, but in large part due to those three stocks, Apple, which went from, I think, down from 125 up to 167. Microsoft, I think, traded as low as 225 after their report. I think it got up to 290 and change. And NVIDIA, which I think bottomed out at either 108 or 103, I forget. I mean, we've seen the move there. That's more than 100% move uh, from low to high. So if you miss those three, you effectively missed it. So I guess my question to you is, does the, I want to say, I guess, the resilience of the market, is it being masked by effectively a handful to 10 different stocks? Well, there's a, there's a lot in there. So let's let's take a step back. Stock pickers outperformed their benchmarks. Uh, 71% of them did last year. It finally felt like it was a stock picker's market. We came into the beginning of 2023. Everyone was underweight tech. Everyone was overweight energy and banks. Um, obviously, as time went on, we talked about this on, on the tape podcast, the chase would happen. Wait one week. All right, I'll wait two weeks. Well, as a fund manager, you can't wait that long to keep underperforming. And so you saw the chase occur late January, February. That's no no surprise. That's when we hit the top of the market when that chase was going on. And so now you you know kind of take a step back and you look at what moved the market and look at uh, look look at the scorecard. And yes, those three companies did account for half of the S and P. Apple alone, I think, was twenty percent of the performance of the S and P in Q one. So is that sustainable? No, that's not sustainable. Could it go on for a little bit longer? Sure, because people want to allocate. If they were underweight tech, where do they go? They go into what they believe are safe places to go, companies that aren't going to, quote, blow them up, so to speak. You can make an argument, I guess, on some of those. NVIDIA, certainly from a valuation perspective, we could tear it apart, but it is a, quote, safe haven, so to speak, I think, for people. So I think that doesn't last year, Guy. I agree with you, and it's interesting. And I want to talk about I want to talk about Apple because obviously some headlines. I think t- this is my opinion, Danny. Um, some, if not most, of this Apple move is coming on the backs of whatever you l- listen. I didn't take geopolitics in college; I missed that day. But you know, I've been talking about, as you have as well, um, the continued escalation of the rhetoric between China and Taiwan, and subsequently how the U.S. gets dragged into it. Kyle Bass put out a tweet about. Uh, people fleeing the Hong Kong dollar. I mean, it's all part and parcel of what's going on. And then on top of which, you see the comments out of Taiwan Semi. Now, I'm not looking to trade Taiwan Semi, but if we could pull a TSM chart up, just for illustration, I think this is interesting. But Taiwan Semi, I think two quarters ago, if I'm not mistaken, said, look, the quarter was shitty. And I'm paraphrasing, obviously. The first half of 2023 is going to be shitty but we're going to make it up in the back half of 2023. And I said, I think it was in October, November. I said, look, I said, here's why the market's rewarding them. The market's rewarding them because they're buying themselves some time. And if they do in fact have clarity, good for them. But what I, my pushback was how in the world could Taiwan semi have clarity in the fall of last year to the back half of 2023 when there's seemingly no visibility whatsoever. So if you look at the comments they just made, I think they reinforced or they made my point for me, but speak to the importance of Taiwan Semi because I think you believe this is bigger than the markets uh, taking into consideration right now. Well, I think the whole market has been kind of back in loaded 2023. We're going to kind of get through this. We've already seen 106 companies, 75% of them guide below where they were supposed to be in Q1 already. So I think people are going to have to believe that this back half story will have growth and that this first half story is just the adjustment kind of rate hikes, which have gone on. I don't actually believe that personally. So I think numbers will continue to come down. 
we're trading at 18 times 2023 earnings, which may end up getting, you know, revised even lower from mm-hmm. where we're going to go from here. So I think you got to pack all that in. Semis and housing tend to be the most sensitive to economic conditions that are current. And so they're currently not telling you that things are better than expected. To your point, Guy, I think this could go on much longer. So certainly a key name to watch, throwing the geopolitical stuff in Taiwan itself with China that's been going on and still seems to be elevating a little bit. And I think the whole, not just regions at risk, but you know, just the sector in general and tech that's reliant on Asia uh, could be a little bit at risk here. So all all kind of goes into the soup here, guys. So yeah, I, I I agree with that. You know, but right now, for whatever reason, people are refusing to either sniff that soup or taste that soup, maybe because they know that soup both tastes and smells like shit. But I digress for a minute. The thing that you you brought to you you bring so much with you when you do on the tape market calls and stuff. But you know, you understand. I think credit markets as well, if not better than anybody I've met in my 36, 37 years or so in this business. But we have a headline, and again, it speaks to some of the things that you've been pointing out for quite some time. But the access to credit and the want for credit. I mean, those things seemingly, if we could throw up that that headline, grinding to a bit of a halt here and. Again, it's not really manifesting itself in the S&P. It's certainly not manifesting itself in HYG or any of the credit instruments. But you got to pay attention to this because this to me is when you start seeing headlines like this, this is when it all starts. Yeah, we're going to get a little glimpse, I think, when we get five banks that are going to report on Friday alone, Mm -hmm. some big ones, Wells Fargo, JP Morgan, PNC, Citigroup. We'll start to get some color on that exactly. And it just makes sense. It's just logical that with what's gone on with Silicon Valley and Signature, uh, with the feds kind of coming in, resupervising or looking over the banks again, that cost of capital, someone has to pay again for what's gone on at the FDIC. It's a tax on the banks. What are they going to do? Mm-hmm. They got to produce higher margins. How do they produce higher margins? Well, you sacrifice revenues probably for the sake of, of margin and cushion on your balance sheet. And so it's only logical that, you know, there's been a stock pickers market for years, and now there's a bond pickers market, which we've talked about. And when I say bonds, it can be credit. What am I willing to underwrite at? You know, cap rates are changing commercial real estate, right? Ability to pay back these loans are changing with a lot of refinancing coming up here in the next few years on commercial real estate, on all, on all debt, to be honest. And so it's going to be a feast or famine type market. And a lot of these companies that were able to access credit, uh, they were kind of zombie companies through 2020, 21 and 22 after COVID and the stimulus and the Fed literally buying high yield bonds, I think, are now in for rude awakening. And either they're going to have to accept a higher price or, or no price at all. So that's the problem, I think. That's the disconnect of the immediate gratification of people wanting to see the impact of what happened to these two banks and what it means to the economy. It's going to take months, if not quarters, if not years, to really sift through. But I think tighter credit is going to be an issue. The biggest driver of this economy has been zero rates and free money for 13 years. And mm-hmm. that's now clearly over. So- Pay attention on Friday. I think that'll be a big, big day. Uh, listen, I, I obviously agree with you. I'm surprised the market's not taking into consideration. You know, I, you know, one of the things I say all the time, and this is not rocket science, you know, 73% of our economy is driven by people effectively buying things and their access to credit in this world that we live in. If you just look at consumer debt numbers and the amount of debt out there now in terms of spread across a number of different things in the United States, it's alarming. Um, but with that said, Interest rates could go to zero. I mean, the, you could just hear an announcement, you know, rates back at zero, everything's good. But bank lending standards are not going to, they're not going to move commensurate with a bond move, I think. So I think people are just missing 
the bigger picture here. More regulation is coming. We can debate whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's clearly coming in the wake of uh, Silicon Valley, Silvergate, and some of these other things. The banks, First Republic, although up today, I think, does not trade particularly well. Uh, it feels as if there's still some lurking things out there on the equity front that the market is seemingly looking past. And I'm not asking you to, to tell me you know, what bank you think, but am I wrong in that, in that assertion? Because I got to believe a lot of people got them off sides on the way up in interest rates, on the way back down, and now seemingly potentially on the way back up. Listen, I was reading Cameron Dawson's piece that she put out Friday night and basically spells out exactly what's going on in the market. And it's just facts and logic. Revenue growth for Q1 in the S&P 500, 9.1% revenue growth for banks' financials. Think about that. Is that sustainable? No way. That comes from net interest income and net interest margin, right? So just that alone tells you as we roll forward kind of into Q2, Q3, Q4, what that's going to mean. The earnings growth was all coming from energy in Q1. That's the main driver for earnings growth. So find me more of a tailwind. Now, energy may still be a tailwind at some point, but I think we're kind of back forth here a little bit on energy. Let's call it neutral right now. So listen, this is going to be the, the defining moment, I believe, in the next kind of two to three weeks and the acceptance. And maybe the market doesn't sell off a ton because people do want to believe in the back half of 23, and that's fine. And maybe we'll get some type of soft landing. But earnings are still too high for a 2023 guy. And again, it comes down to what multiple are you willing to put on the market at these, at, you know, at these levels with what we see ahead of us, which is the Fed's going again on May 3rd. And mm -hmm. so the Fed's going again on May 3rd. So that's the other thing I missed last week was obviously the jobs number, which I call it neutral. Unemployment rate dropped a tick, but that can be manufactured a little bit. So I call that a non-event in terms of what the Fed's going to do. But we're 67 percent on a rate hike. But it's still, I mean, I agree with you, but I got to tell you something. It's still three and a half percent having ticked up to three, six. So, I mean, it's nowhere near where they want it to be. They being the Federal Reserve and they'll never say this. But, you know, I think in order for them to get down to that two percent target rate for inflation, which is a bit of a pipe dream, in my opinion, you need an, you need the unemployment rate to be north of four and a half percent, if not five percent. We're light years away from that in this incredibly tight job market now. There are some things out there. There are some indicators that suggest this might have been a bit of an off, you know, an outlier in terms of three and a half and jolts and all the other shit that's coming out and things can move pretty quickly. But I got to tell you something. I would have, I would, I'm sure that if you ask these geniuses nine, 10 months ago, you said to them, look, you're going to raise 500 basis points over the course of 10 months. Where do you think the unemployment rate is going to be? I'm sure to a person they would have said, at least four and a half percent, if not higher, and it's not. So the labor the stickiness of the labor market is making their job extraordinarily difficult, coupled with the fact that a lot of these inflation indicators, gasoline being one of them, but a lot of other things as well, are seemingly ticking right back up in their face, Danny. Let me just put on a bullish hat if I can for oh a second. Oh my God. It's very it rare. I don't have one that fits fit my big head, but I was going to say, find oh a bullish hat around here. But please. I would say that people want to believe, and maybe it could be true that you know the job market will stay strong and it will it will create a quote soft landing scenario. I'm a big believer that it's going to be a lag impact, and my problem is that within that job number, a lot of white collar workers, higher paid workers, are getting laid off, which will have a ripple effect into the economy. So I can't argue with the fact that the job market remains strong. We're seeing price hikes across the board. We just saw the union in leisure and hospitality outside of New York City get a massive raise. Over, you know, all the hotels outside of New York, I think a 25, 30 percent raise in wages over the next several years. And so that's happening. That's going to hit your margin. So, again, pick your poison. But the job market does does remain strong. And so 
I can see that argument and I'll take my hat off, but I think it's horse hockey, as you like to say, guy, because I think at the end of the day, I think a tighter credit market, tighter credit conditions will have a much bigger impact. And again, you can't have 13, 14 years of easy money just unwind over a period of a year. It doesn't work like that. That's just not rational. Watch how I tie a ribbon on this. Horse hockey, of course, the great Sherman T. Potter of MASH fame. Mike Farrell's wife, who played Nurse Abel on MASH, A-B-E-L. She passed away, I believe, last week. Um, again, just bringing it all. Not that anybody cares. Before we bring in dubs, that CBW, um, Japan, there was, I think, the Vapors. I think it was the Vapors sang a song turning Japanese. Well, you know, I got to tell you something. The Japanese, they, they seem, they have new Fed chief there. Um, they seem to be really zigging and zagging. They're trying to figure this out. But things are a little... Um, Let's put it. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, things seem to be a little muddled over there in Japan. Thoughts? Yeah, we watch this carefully because this seems like PAL 2.0 here, mm -hmm. different market. But if you see what the 10 year has done in Japan over the last kind of 10 days, um, we had dropped below kind of the 30 basis point level. Um, and remember the yield curve control, no shock. It can't shock you there. It, it peaks at 0.5%. Obviously, that's where the yield curve control is. So he came in, I think, a little bit less dovish than people had thought saying that he'll react to the data in real time. But at this point, he doesn't see inflation going north of 2%. They're still seeing readings of 1.4, 1.6. But everything's indicating over there that it's going to rise to 3 to 4%, you know, certainly by next year, and it's certainly going to creep higher. So keep an eye on that there. You can see the yen actually has been weakening in most recent days. The dollar is strengthening a little bit against the yen. That's a little bit of a reverse from what we've seen. And so something to keep an eye on and just remember how much Japan relies on us, mm -hmm. obviously, to import and Europe to import to a degree, too. So a lot of mixed things going on in that market. They do not envy his position. Uh, and so but you can see from there, I think he came in a little bit less dovish than people had thought. But let's not kid ourselves. They're still very dovish. Over yeah. There. And, you know, I know I do not envy his position. And I always go back to I think it's King Henry the fourth. Uneasy is the head that lies the crown. So, I mean, you ask for these jobs, you got it. And comes with it everything you have to deal with so that's just tough toenails as they say which is a really uh, ugly visual if you think about it but what's not an ugly visual is a great carter braxton worth fresh off an easter sunday i'm sure he has quaffed extraordinarily well tough toenails tough look toenails. at you by the way you got the orange look at we both are wearing yeah, orange see, underneath yeah. that is I, that is we didn't even I plan read my that. morning uh my morning memos so yeah tough toenails like the big elephants <laughs> That's like like a large elephant, they have very tough tone. They need to have those tough toenails, given the domain and and the, and the terrain they need to navigate. Let's navigate an S. Man, that's a great segue. Let's navigate the S and P chart. And you heard Danny and I, sort of waxing poetic here. I mean, you can take some of the things you heard from us and look at this S and P chart. And as we're sitting here, forty one hundred. I mean, you know, right? It's it's pretty incredible how we're sort of sticking at these levels. This is that uptrend, 15-year uptrend that we're clearly still in. Uh, we've had moves to the downside along the way, and we're smack probably, I don't know, right in the middle of this thing. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, in many ways, the, this is sort of the all-important, the, the uptrend that's been in effect since the financial crisis low. And those lines are all parallel mathematically. Even we blew out through the top of the channel, right? Valuations get almost as rich as the dot-com peak in late 21. And we've mean reverted back to the middle. So the question ultimately is, do we have to get down into lower band, right, of the two? And I think, you know, we do. 
the best case scenario would we sort of walk along the midpoint. I don't see anything that takes the market up, up and out in a big way. So I think you're left with sideways the down, capturing 90% of the odds. And with the uh, very distinct possibility that down is the is the much bigger weight. It's all multiple expansion. I know you guys talk about that all mm -hmm. the time, but we've we've seen it. I mean, to think at the beginning of the year, you know, the tech sector was trading at 22 times, now it's 29, right? Times earnings. You've got to deliver to keep a multiple. The socks was at 16 times, it's now 23. Or, or even Apple, 20 and now 27 times, or Microsoft 24 times start the year, now 31 times. So we've seen a lot of price action. Um, now the goods have to be delivered, or by definition, you'll get some multiple contraction, even as the earnings don't come through. So walk us through the rest of the charts that you brought, because this is obviously, this has the lines, they speak for themselves, as you say, but you, know, you brought some other charts as well. Here's the first, no lines, none needed, Right, a pair it, of twos maybe, but you know, here so. we are. That's right, and and no lines for a reason because if you could, the best way to remove all bias is to remove what it says on the upper left. So if you didn't know that was S and P, it could be a software company, a, a housing stock, a, a, you know, a bond. Meaning basically it has no character. But let's put in some lines in to try to sort of annotate. You can see those lines now. Those are lines that define it to some extent. If we pull it back a little longer term, lines again. We pull it back a little longer term. Lines again, a little longer term. Basically, the market is stuck, and it's stuck only for so long. Right? Something comes along to inform the next real directional move, which is to say it's something to do with the fundamentals, and markets get re-rated higher or lower. My bias remains to the downside, and I think it's asymmetrical. Even if it's up, it's up in limited, muted kind of way, whereas downside, while unknown, could be quite spectacular. As does mine. But, Danny, you know, I told you, and we talked about this on a podcast a few weeks ago, I did, in fact, watch The Big Short. And what I was taking, you know, I had a number of comments about it. But, you know, the sometimes markets, despite the fact that you know that you you have all the cards, you've done all the work, sometimes markets do really strange things. So I know you're not a technician necessarily, but you watch these charts as well, Danny. So is there – I know there is a chance, but let's say – for whatever reason, this market continues to do the elevation. And now we're in the middle of April, early May, and people feel like they're missing out on something. We've seen it before where despite fundamentals, despite all the news, despite valuations, markets can do really strange things. I mean, is that I know it's on your radar, but speak to how that happens. Yeah, I try to, you know, same thing when you go to the horse track, you look you look at the program first, don't look at the odds board because mm -hmm. your brain will be swayed. If you see a horse, that's even money versus a horse, that's 10 to one. You won't do the work you need to on 10 to 1 horse because you think the crowd already knows. And so you got to think kind of away from that. So I use charts as kind of a reinforcement. And Carter knows well when he used to come in the office with Porter and Vinny. When I didn't like what Carter said, I would just X off his thought and move on to the next one. Next. <laughs> yeah, next. But uh, Carter, question for you. So when when you talk about pair of twos, we're, we're talking about dice or are we talking about cards? Talk about poker. We're talking about poker. Okay. Yeah. Because those can be Dean. Anyway, I was just curious because in, in dice, a pair of twos, you know, you get paid two to one on that. Obviously, sure. it's a little bit of a hard four action, kind of where we are. So, guy, if I were to apply my pair of twos onto, I think there's a two to one probability that the market's going to go lower here, and I think the risk reward is very good that you're going to roll that four on the pass line before you seven out again. If I could be betting on the pass line as a bearish person as opposed to the don't pass, I won't. This is the wrong episode for that but carter knows what i'm saying so yes. i think what happened in the in q1 was the chase we saw it from this report today about the stock pickers and how they came in underweight tech and their hand got forced their hand gets forced 
And that chart is showing you, I believe showing me every centimeter on that chart or whatever it might be. It's just inch closer with no new news. Once there's a direction picked here to Carter's point, which he thinks is down, if there's a violent move, which direction will it be up or down? I think it sets up for down. So that's just my, my personal view, Carter. Yeah, and to think to start the year, I mean, financials were loved and mm -hmm. tech was hated. Of course, it's turned out the exact opposite. And that's the nature of these things. You know, uh, money flow is a mercurial thing, and but it can only go so far before you have to justify it. Carter, we did our own chart. This is I want to emphasize it's not yours, so cast dispersions at will, but it's the equal weight um, versus um, the regular S&P, if we could throw it up. I think Amanda might have put this together. And it speaks to, you know, the outperformance basically vis-a-vis -a, -vis a handful of stocks. And yep. I guess, well, I mean, I don't know if I have a question as much as it a statement, but I think this resolves itself in obvious ways. I mean, those stocks that have outperformed, I mean, we've seen this perceived flight to quality a number of times, and that lasts until it doesn't. And then, like most other things, you get this sort of back to normalcy. But how do you think this resolves sure. itself? So we have a very bifurcated market. If you think about what creates this phenomenon, you have sectors such as tech and telecommunications, the new telecommunications, no longer AT&T and Verizon, but Google and Netflix um, and so forth, both up 20% for the year while you've got financials down six, energy down five. You've, you've got about almost 3,000 base points of spread between two three of the parts composing the whole, which gives you, of course, this kind of setup. We know that the market itself is up six and a half, let's say for the year, whereas the equal weight's up only one and a half. Russell 2000 is lunch. And so it's been this movement, right, into these very large cap, um, sort of moat-like idiosyncratic growth things. But that's not an offensive uh, or aggressive uh, act. It's a defensive act, right? It's really, we put out a note to this called the face of fear. Right when you are truly worried, you 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 do the playbook says you go into classically defensive names. They used to call it soap and cereal, which would be soup cans and 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 you know Procter and Gamble toothpaste. Or now you also go into moat-like companies whose businesses aren't as dependent on the economic cycle. But you, to think that it's Microsoft and Apple, just those two. Hold the side Nvidia, which is a newer phenomenon. It's almost as though. It's people are so terrified and maybe rightly so that they're saying, you know what? I think I'll give all my money to Andrew Carnegie and John Rockefeller. They're literally saying Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. And I know Jobs isn't with us. Take all my money. I'm so worried about everything else. You guys hold it. And You're the geniuses. Right. And look, yeah. I mean, that, that's been the right course of action. But, you know, right before our very eyes to Danny's point earlier, to your point as well. I mean, these stocks have gotten from reasonably valued maybe four or five months ago to back to where i don't want to say at their highs but i mean nvidia is trading at levels that don't make a lot of sense microsoft which last quarter was not particularly good is probably close to 30 times next year's numbers again which doesn't make sense so next we want to look quickly you brought some charts on the banking side of thing let's start a little calendar up because it's a pretty graph and we have to throw it because amanda did i mean that is beautiful look at that i mean you know, it's like the old days where you throw over. I actually, hold on a second. I want to show folks at home so they don't think I'm making this up. Um, hold, please. So this is what they call a filofax. I don't know if anybody can see this. Actually, I have a map of the New York City subway system. But this is how I used to get, you know, my dates and calendars. So people still do that shit. In there, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm just, you know, just for oh, sake fine. of whatever. But it is a big week. I mean, Friday it kicks off uh, next week, obviously. But we're going to get into earnings season. 
I'm hard pressed to believe these banks are saying anything good, but you brought some charts to maybe illustrate some points here, CBW. Sure. So this is the XLF. Of course, it's not just banks. You've got big things like Berkshire holding it up and progressive and uh, certain things like that, insurance stocks. But, you know, the lines and drawing lines are subjective, just as it is in the fundamental world. Should something be three times free cash flow, 11 times, 22 times? It's in the eye of the beholder. But the lines, as I see them, draw themselves this way. It's a clear break in trend, and we are precariously close to breaking below the October lows. It's just not a good setup. Danny, remember, I look at this. And this the is, the X, is a lot worse. Yeah, and this is the XLF. So uh, as we've stated on a bunch of different shows, but it's worth noting, I, th I think the XLF is weighted as follows. I think it's almost 13% Berkshire Hathaway. I think it's 10% JP Morgan. And I think Visa and MasterCard are 8% each. So you can do the math. I mean, almost 40% of this ETF is four different stocks, which – I don't know how they made it the XLF, but they did. With that said, people look at this thing, and we're right at levels past resistance in October. Actually, it's February of 2020, just before COVID hit in earnest. You see that thing topped out around 31 or so, and then we failed. So past resistance becomes support. And a few times, Danny, we've touched it. How important, not necessarily XLF, but you know the way the banks trade um, to this entire equation we're just talking about. Yeah, I'd rather see the KRE if you guys have that. Not Which to, is equally shitty, by the way. Actually, I no, that's wrong. It's bit, worse. I think it looks worse. Yeah. Um, listen, it, I think so go the financials in Q1 earnings. So go the markets. And I think that potentially marries in the driving force. If the S&P is a pair of twos, I think that chart is called vomit. I don't know if you use that uh, word highly, there, Carter. You're probably not allowed to. technical term. Yeah, yeah but a technical it's term. No, it is. But yeah. <laughs> It doesn't look it doesn't look pretty. And again, I, this is going to be, I think, the most important day uh, of the year. Um, and whether people hear what they want to hear um, or not, I, I don't know. Jamie Dimon already gave us a preview in his letter kind of last week of what we're going to hear, obviously, on Friday. So it does not bode well. And again, I hate using ETFs to trade because I think you can find winners and losers within them. We're going to get earnings from Progressive. By the way, we're getting... Delta Airlines, Albertsons. We're getting some other stuff out there, fast and all, over this week, leading into the banks, which are going to give you a, a pretty good look, you know, I think kind of a broader look into the economy and what's happening at the same time. But no, that does not look good to me. Carter, run through the rest of your charts because they are, you always bring great stuff with you. Well, you brought some more in the form of, I think, the XLI. Yeah, well, industrials are, are pretty key here as well. It's um, This is an all data chart, and it really just shows how sort of pathetic this really is. What you know on the top is XLI, that's the S&P 500, new highs up and to the right. But the relative performance all about that to the S&P peaked in 2008, Q1 2008, some 15 years ago. It, it, it says a lot about a lot of things. But if we were to drill down on the here and now, the more immediate charts, there's, there's the XLI similar to the XLF. So we have a minor trend line in effect since the October low. If we look at the next iteration, we can toggle Let's go with one, two, one, two. Now put them both together. I think we basically are going to break that minor uptrend and we're going to approach and get down to the important trend line that's been in effect since the COVID low. That's about 7% lower from here. So Danny, we'd lose, again, I shouldn't say that, we potentially lose the um, leadership in banks and then we start to lose some of these deeply cyclical industrial names on the back of what appears to be a pretty significant slowdown here, obviously in Europe. Um, what does that say? You know, again, you know, you're just connecting dots here, but 
you know, you're hard pressed to believe that tells a great story about the economy. And then on the flip side, we're going to get CPI this week. And, you know, one of the things that I've said, Danny, I'm curious as to your thoughts before we get out of here. I think CPI is basically equates to inflation. And I think PPI is a great indicator as to the economy. So you could have a shitty, P- a soft PPI number, but that doesn't necessarily mean the Fed's doing their job well. It just means the economy is slowing. And on the flip side, we could see a hot CPI number, which is the exact definition of something you've been talking about now close to two years. Companies that have been putting up good earnings have done it through price increases, not through unit volume growth necessarily. And that can only be sustainable for so long, in my opinion. So you can put it on the board. Those stocks should trade at a premium. They're proving pricing power. But that inflation works its way into the economy, eventually has a hit on demand and things back up, obviously. So I believe that's temporary phenomenon. So we will get some of that in, the, in Q1. We will see companies that have good earnings that have, you know, have put price increases through. And again, the same way the Fed raises rates and it takes a year to follow through, I think the same way we'll see kind of the ability of people to take these price increases, both in the business and consumer level, and eventually stop buying those products, whatever it might be, just for the fact that they get too expensive. So CPI, listen, I think we're all in agreement that for the most part, inflation has obviously peaked. The trend has been lower. Oil has gone back up again. Gasoline obviously has gone back up. We're going to get blips here and there, but the trend still remains lower. That's again bullish hat on, doesn't fit my head, throw it in the trash type thing. But again, I think this is probably the most important week. I'll say this again, uh, going into tax day, nonetheless. So Two weeks. I mean, the next couple of weeks, absolutely fascinating. I, you know, I think I, just for me, it's not the numbers necessarily. It's the commentary at a, a, a Brian Moynihan, who for whatever reason seems to be Pollyannish all the time. But I think reality has to set in and you know, keep your eye on some of these bank stocks. You know, First Republic, which is bouncing today, I mean, it's not traded particularly well at all. You wonder, you wonder what's out there in the bank world. And Blackstone, which Danny mentioned, you know, you talked about this back when it happened, but you said, but for those gates that Blackstone put up, I mean, you could have seen, I'm um, now it's air quotes, but a run on, I mean, you know, I'm paraphrasing, I guess. But but for that, you would have seen a run. So that was an early warning sign of a lot of the things you're seeing now, Danny, before we get out of here. Yeah, let me make one more comment that I think is crucial. So consumer credit, which we're going to get really good glimpses of with Wells Fargo, JP Morgan, Citigroup. Keep in mind that loan growth had been so, so long that if consumer credit is a fraction, numerator over denominator, obviously, if that new if that numerator starts to slow down, right, obviously, if bad credit starts to rise and you don't have the loan origination that you that you have those numbers will start to look a lot worse rather quickly also once you have the growth start to slow overall. And so bad credit, while it maybe would be the same on an absolute basis, on a relative basis, starts to look a little bit worse. I think that's something to really keep an eye on. I dig being with it's the three of us. It's fun. I mean, you got the Engelbert Humperdinck thing going. <laughs> Carter and I got the orange underneath. I mean, this has been a fun show, but it goes by like that. By the way, the Yankees are six and three. I think they're in Cleveland for a three-game set, if if I'm not mistaken. I think the Padres of San Diego are here to play the reeling New York Mets. Uh, Porter Vinny, if you're watching or listening, I am sorry. We'll see how we shake out over the next couple of days. But that's it for today. I want to thank Danny Moses back from vacation, jumping in doing yeoman's work. The great Carter Braxtonworth, as always. I want to thank FactSet Financial Data and Analytics, powered by tomorrow. They're our data provider as well. I will be back tomorrow with EY from SoFi on a Tuesday because Dan Nathan is doing his civil or civic, I should say, responsibility. He's on jury duty. Guilty.
<laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. That was Superman. Superman. Guilty. Leverage. Okay. Too much right. leverage. Get leverage. Guilty. All <laughs> Thanks, right. guys. See you All later. Right. Good.